Welcome to Full Core Press, and I'm Liam Griffin. For the show's 60th episode, we are taking a break from the normal debate format as a very special guest is joining the show today. He spent six full seasons and part of a seventh as head coach of the New York Knicks, and then four full seasons as coach of the Houston Rockets. He works alongside Mike Breen and Mark Jackson during ESPN and ABC primetime NBA games. Ladies and gentlemen, today joining the show is legendary head coach Jeff Van Gundy. I like that. I like that sound effect. Oh, I'm That's so good. glad. I'm so glad. How are you? Great. You. Thank you so much for joining the show. No problem. All right. So I wanted to start off with something that's not so much related to basketball, but related to sports as a whole. So in the past few weeks, we've seen the Houston Astros, Boston Red Sox, and New York Yankees of the MLB all accused of stealing signs. And the New England Patriots were recently accused of videotaping the Cincinnati Bengals sidelines. So with that being said, is there any sort of way that sign relays occur in the NBA and could lead to a potential cheating issue? Well, I think the one issue that uh, we had back when I was with the Knicks was someone when we were doing a walkthrough uh, at Madison Square Garden, the scout snuck in upstairs oh. to try to not videotape, but listen and hear how we were going to try to guard uh, play calls of that nature. Oh, yeah. uh, so I, I don't necessarily, I think everything basically in the NBA is fair game. I think what I would be worried about now with all the microphones and, and sound is thing that's, that I said in a timeout getting transmitted down to the other uh, bench. Okay. Uh, how we're going to guard, let's say you're playing Houston and you're going to decide to double James Harden late in a game, you know, that that could get to them before they saw it on the court. Okay. I think the locker room is also an area that I don't trust, uh, never have, that everything's above board. So I, I think there are ways to um, alter games, not necessarily stealing signs, uh, but cheat, and that's when you have to rely on everybody's integrity. Sure thing. Now, one of the key storylines of the season, and in the offseason essentially, was how big of an impact Zion Williamson would make. And the impact has been zero, and the Pelicans were scheduled for a number of national TV, TV games, including a game on opening day and on Christmas night, but Zion has played in neither of those games, nor has he in any regular season game. So do you expect Zion Williamson to play at all this year? I know there's a lot of debate about that, whether he should or shouldn't. I think if he's healthy, he should, and I think he's going to have a dramatic impact on them uh, right away. I think what they're going to try to find and try to do with Williamson is find the right weight to play at, uh, the right training methods. You, you've read in the papers and online about trying to teach him to walk and run more efficiently. Uh, so it'll be interesting. The, the, the only thing that can get in his way, I believe, is injury right. and, uh, and or uh, having his body get too big. And so uh, I'm going to be interested to see how it plays out. I mean, yeah, that being said, I personally don't believe Zion Williamson can play an 82-game season. Do you think that if he's able to cut down on his way and learn how to run properly, he can play a full 82 games? Well, the way it's going in the NBA, that's not even expected anymore to play a full 82. So let's say, could he play 75, 70 to 75? And I think there's no question he can. I think he loves basketball. I think uh, from what we saw in an abbreviated uh, preseason schedule. You don't want to make too many 
uh, predictions off of that, but what you saw was a tremendous athletic specimen that um, is going to be really good, and it's all about health. So I think he's going to have to really make sure, as they will, have to make sure that they have him on the right path. Hard to predict injuries, hard to prevent them, <laughs> but they're doing all they can. Okay, now, on a bit of a more tragic note, uh, on New Year's Day, we lost former Commissioner David Stern. So in light of that, do you have any favorite memories for whether it be personal or as a whole? Well, the one thing he did was he, he made a lot of people a lot of money in the NBA, uh, along with the great players. He really uh, did a great job financially. The one I remember most vividly is uh, we had been in one of our brawls with Miami that led to suspensions. And after we were eventually eliminated, uh, I had to go into his office. And I'd never been there before. And it's a big palatial office. And uh, my president, uh, the, the, my boss, was in there with myself, Commissioner Stern, and the uh, assistant commissioner, Russ Granick. And he proceeded for 30 minutes to circle the couch and MF me the entire time. Uh, and uh, I, you know, I didn't have a great relationship with him. Uh, I don't know him that well personally. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he, he was a very uh, forceful commissioner, to say the least. All right, now, you mentioned the brawls with Miami, so I wanted to bring up the scene with Alonzo Mourning in 1998. So what do you remember most about that scene as a whole, and what was going through your mind as it was going on, and how often is it brought up to you today? Well, we were in a fight the year before that I think actually cost us our series against Miami. We were up 3-1, and we had an incident um, that ended up leading to multiple suspensions over multiple games uh, that I think had a huge impact. So the next year, we're in a series, and uh, Morning and Larry Johnson uh, start to throw blows. It, this is back when the NBA was uh, full contact and um, it, there was bad blood. It, it, was, it was just nasty between uh, Miami and New York. And so when I ran out there, I, I literally um, have amnesia. You know, when criminals plead temporary insanity, I, I truly have no memory of that. And so when I watch it on a video or someone shows it to me or references it, which is quite often, I don't really have any memories of it. Uh, I just know this. I looked like a fool, and I was glad that morning um, was kind enough not to, uh, you know, let me have it. Uh, all right, so as a whole, what's the most electrifying moment you've ever witnessed on a basketball court as a coach or a color analyst? I would say uh, in 1999, we were playing Indiana in the Eastern Conference Finals. And we were down three, and Larry Johnson made a three-point shot and was fouled Ooh. under 10 seconds. And he made the free throw. And when that three went in, because we had just lost Ewing in the game before uh, he tore his Achilles, and we were down a couple guys, that was the loudest I ever heard Madison Square Garden. All right. So, And one of the other players who coached, in, coached in addition to Larry Johnson was the 7 foot 6 phenomenon, Yao Ming. What was it like to coach? Such a freak of nature, if I dare say it. Well, he was uh, one of the most remarkable athletes I've ever met. He, his body wasn't made for NBA basketball because when you're that size, the stress you're putting on your joints 
is amazing. And uh, he got himself down weight-wise. He was 3 to 5% body fat, which is incredible. Very disciplined in his work habits. But the thing, besides all the great things, and he was truly a great, great player, the thing that I learned from him more than anything else was he knew how to be happy for other people's success. He was not resentful if we won and, and somebody else had a big night, and he didn't. Um, he truly, uh, whether it was his upbringing by his parents, um, how he was taught to play basketball growing up, um, you don't find that type of unselfishness with many athletes. So he had the ego of a great player, meaning he was a driven player. He wanted to do well for himself and his team. But he's also an unselfish guy in that he was truly happy for others when they had success. And that's why he's one of the most beloved teammates that has ever played. And I'm sure he's, he's still beloved in Houston. I mean, at a construction site, or what I think is a construction site, there's a big Yao Ming, a bunch of eyes all over the, well, it's supposed to be a high rise, but still hasn't been built yet. Anyway, so on the topic of coaching, if you were to go back and coach for one day in today's NBA, basing this not off of location or salary cap or anything like that, solely off of who the team currently has, which team would you want to coach and why? Today? Today. Uh, I would say it would, you would base it around one player. Um, and so your choice would be, um, do you want to have a long run? Uh, and I think you would, you would either pick uh, a Denikumpo or you would pick Doncic if you were looking long range. And, and so are there any potential under-the-radar trade deadline targets that a team like Milwaukee or Dallas could be on the lookout for? I don't think Milwaukee needs anything. I don't think they need to add anything. They have enough depth of talent that they don't need to do anything else. I think Dallas is uh, the best offensive team by the numbers in the game. Defensively, they're probably the worst defensive team of the true contenders, uh, them and Houston. And I think anything that could help them shore up some defensive deficiencies without uh, taking away from their offense uh, would be welcome. So, so the all-star voting is going on right now, and the game is right around the corner. And I think this is absolutely ridiculous. Alex Caruso and Taco Fall, one of whom has played 11 minutes total, and I love the guy because he's a Celtic, but, and one of them... I don't even know why he's so popular. He just seems like an ordinary role player for the Lakers, which he may not be since I don't follow the Lakers that closely, but he's still ahead of Devin Booker in the All-Star voting, and Taco Fall is ahead of Gordon Hayward, who's quietly having a very good year for the Celtics. So do you think it's possible the NBA eliminates All-Star fan voting anytime soon? Well, I don't know if they will, but they should. The, the, the problem, though, is when the players were given a portion of it, they too treated it as a joke voting for themselves and for their friends versus taking the vote seriously. And then you have uh, coaches. Some coaches take it very seriously, some don't. And then you have the media. And frankly, I never thought they deserved it uh, because I don't think they really know. But I do think the media takes it more seriously, would put more time into it. So I think we should go back to that. I actually think the All-Star game should be totally eliminated. I think oh, wow. the weekend should stay. Um, but I don't think the players want to play. 
in the game. I think it's shown by how much energy they bring to the game, which is negligible. And so I think the game should be scrapped. The teams should be picked, introduced, have a weekend, um, have an award show, you know, have a fashion show because they seem to be more into fashion than sometimes than they are into playing the All-Star game. You know, have a tennis shoe uh, like uh, show, whatever you want to do. But I think they they should they have forfeited their right with their lack of effort and energy to play the game, and I think <laughs> the fans have forfeited their right to pick. Um, Absolutely. All right, so the NBA is discussing a lot of changes for future years. Among them, a potential in-season tournament of all 30 teams with financial prize money and a potential reseeding of the playoffs. Do you think that, first of all, are you in favor of these changes, and do you think they could happen anytime soon? Well, I do think I like the reseeding idea, but I would take that even further. I would take the top 16 records, regardless of conference, into the playoffs, and I would have no team in the playoffs that was sub-500. So if we only had 14 teams uh, in the, you know, have plus 500 records, then in the first round, two teams would have a bye. Uh -huh. like if, if you can't win half your games, you don't belong in the playoffs. So that would be me. So I like the reseeding idea. Uh, the in-season tournament, I don't think the financial incentives would mean anything to the teams or the players. So I don't know how that would work, but I do like that Adam Silver, because he's seeing the decrease in enthusiasm for the regular season by all parties. I think he's trying to figure out ways to make the regular season work and work better. I don't know exactly if he's, got, he's on the right track or not, but I know it deserves to be spoken about. Okay, now, on Wednesday night, we, there was a hideous scene in Boston as a fan through, a, through some kind of drink, I don't know if it was a beer, if it was just a bottle, at the Spurs bench in San Antonio. And he, in my opinion, rightfully so, received a lifetime ban. However, in DMLB, I'm going to take this as an example, I've seen Yankees fans throw beer on my favorite pitcher, Chris Sale, and absolutely nothing happened to them. So do you think a lifetime ban is justified for actions like this in all sports, or is it a sort of three strikes, you're out policy? You seem like you're a very conflicted young person. You're a Celtic. How do you a Celtic fan and a Red Sox fan living down here? But that's for another time. You oh. can debate that with your in your next episode. But you're a very confused young person. But anyway, I would say there are so many different levels of of incident. First of all, the lifetime ban is so hard to actually enforce. So. That guy could walk into an NBA arena tomorrow and no one would know, right? So it's more show than it is real, okay? But I do believe that racist uh, talk, um, things that could hurt people, like throwing a, a beer onto the floor at an official, I think it was more at the official than it was at the San Antonio bench, um, I think those things should be punished as strongly as they can. And, you know, I think arrested versus more than just the ban. I think they have to take that all the way through in the court system as much as they can. Um, but it's so hard to enforce. And you would hate to think that a person who made a mistake, uh, let's say running onto a baseball field, should be forever banned from watching Major League Baseball live. I understand 
the show part of it, but from a realistic standpoint, it seems overly harsh. Okay, so in the NBA, there have been several great games in history. Warriors-Cavs, Game 7, 2016. Heat-Spurs, when Ray Allen hit that big corner shot. I could go on and on. When Magic hit that sky hook. If you had the chance to travel back in time and win this one NBA game again, whether it be a game you've coached or called at or a game you had no affiliation with, which game would you choose and why? I would choose Game 5 of the 1990 Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, I was an assistant with the New York Knicks against the Michael Jordan Bulls. Uh, we went up in that series two games to none. Uh, they came back, won their two home games, and then game five they beat us uh, by one. And we had uh, a person on our team named Charles Smith who missed three consecutive layups that were blocked to win it. And it's the most agonizing loss uh, because we truly had a championship caliber team, a great team. Um, and if I could, if I got a do-over with one game, that would be the game. Okay, now I want to. This isn't originally on my planned list, but I want to bring this. But up. let me say this: oh. I would also do Game Seven when I was with the Knicks and we lost in '94 to the Rockets in the finals. because oh. we were a better team and they outplayed us that night. All right, so I want to bring up the Knicks' current state of things right now. Well, first of all, do you approve of the actions, if any, that James Dolan is taking to? maybe lead the team in a better direction. And if you had your say, would you make Dolan sell the team? Well, I'm still a Nick fan. I worked there for 13 years, uh, six and a half as an assistant, six and a half as a head coach. And uh, so I'm still a Nick fan. And I worked for Jim Dolan. He was my owner the last three or four years. Um, his dad uh, actually thought up cable. so. Cable Vision, that's what they owned. That's where they made all their money, and then they got into entertainment. And as an owner, I found him, because I had a good buffer and a good boss, I didn't have the issues that some of these other people have talked about. Um, he, I, I found him to be a really good owner because he gave us every resource we needed to win. But so I don't think you can force an owner to sell, but I think what they have to do is pick a direction. They always preach patience and then in the middle of their rebuild, they, they too often lose the stomach for it. And they forget that patience is a huge part of rebuilding. And I don't think New York, even though it gets this uh, reputation as uh, a town or a city that would not withstand a rebuild, if you're doing it in an intelligent manner, they're intelligent fans and they would buy in. All right, now, because of missed calls, we've seen the NFL and the MLB expand their replay review system in recent years. I know you, of all people, are most definitely opposed to it, but do you see the same thing happening sometime soon in the NBA? It is. It's happening right now, and it's ruining the end of games. This constant need to go over there and look at a call breaks the flow and rhythm of the game. And I think... The team, you know, I work for ESPN and ABC, so we're part of the problem because we show these replays in super slow-mo ad nauseum, which, so now, you know, we're, a referee in live play is supposed to see that it just tipped a guy's finger, and we're showing that, so it's making the referees look bad. So this is their response because they don't want their referees to look bad, they're ruining the end of the games. I think in their next collective bargaining with the, you know, the networks, 
they should be limited to one replay. One replay. Like, you want to show that we made a mistake, or you want to pick one and show that it was a hard call, go ahead. But after one, that's it. And then I would eliminate all replay except on the last shot of the game. Did he get it off or not? That's oh, it. Oh, wow. That's a real deal. So, and another thing you are highly opposed to is analytics. And No, absolutely not. Oh, I must have read, read it wrong. So no, 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 because I, I, I do it as a coach. I believed in everything about studying the numbers as much as I could. I worked for Daryl Morey, brilliant guy. But should everything be, but the beauty of a sport like basketball is you can combine your eyes with analytics. I would never think that you should be only looking at things from a coaching standpoint with your eyes, ignoring analytics, nor do I think you should base everything on analytics while ignoring your eyes. Oh, yeah, because I was going to bring that. That's basically that's what the Rockets do. I mean, that's why the Car Carmelo Anthony controversy last year was so huge, if you ask me. So do you expect the game to ever drift away from the current analytics movement that it's in? No, I don't. I think um, people from a shot uh, profile standpoint are using the rules to their best advantage. But not every team, not every player is should take the same shots. So when you have a great mid-range shooter and that's what they're giving, um, you know, last year, I, I think the pull-up jump shot is so highly debated whether it's good. It's, it's up for debate in the regular season if you should take those, but in the playoffs, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, they show that against the best defenses, sometimes that's the only shot you can create you better be able to make that and have a wide variety of shots that you can make and a balance on offense. So you, when you're going up against these elite defenses, you have an answer. And I think those teams that are only layups, free throws, and threes, I think while that in a long 82 game season may be good, I'm not sure that's the formula for winning it all in the playoffs. So you brought up Kawhi Leonard, and a big story around him this year has been load management, or to those that don't know, intentionally sitting out games for rest to prepare for the playoffs. And we saw a rookie, John Morant, do this in Memphis. So what are your thoughts on load management as a whole? I personally think it's blasphemous. What do you think? Well, I think if you're injured, you should sit. And if you're healthy, you should play. That's what your contract says. That's what you're paid for. And most importantly, it's the agreement we've made with our fans in that we sell tickets while marketing our superstar players. And then I think every fan would understand. You're a Boston fan. You go up to Boston to see a game. You want to see Kemba Walker. He's hurt. He can't play. You understand that. However, if you do the same thing and Kemba Walker just decides on a whim that he doesn't want to play that night or a team decides on a whim they don't want to play him that night, then that's a bait-and-switch move uh, that I think ultimately will hurt the NBA and its money because I don't think the TV people are going to pay as much next time because we don't know from that standpoint who's going to play on any given night. All right, so I'm going to drift over to the college game for a second. We've seen prospects like Cole Anthony and James Wiseman burst onto the scene. It can be one of those three. It can be anybody, really. 
Which current draft prospect are you most excited to see play in the NBA next year? I got to say, I don't follow college basketball um, well. I watch, when I watch, I go, I go to Rice games and I'll watch Georgetown because Patrick Ewing's a coach there. Uh, and I'll go to high school games and I'll watch NBA games. College, I don't watch very much, so I'm not as in touch with who's a really good college player or who I think can be a great pro player. Everyone I know that I trust says this is a bad draft coming up, but even with that, there's going to be some players that come out of there and are tremendous NBA players. All right, so on Wednesday night, in addition to the incident in Boston, there was a little bit of a skirmish between Jimmy Butler and TJ Warren on social media. Do you expect that issue to become a long-term thing, or is it just a one-and-done type deal? No, sometimes that happens in games where guys get into it, and it was unfortunate in that game, T.J. Warren got thrown out. I think before social media, that's where it would have ended. Now with social media, guys can act tough by posting messages, but at the end of the day, you actually have to back it up with your play at some time. So I'm interested in watching the next game uh, where they play. I think it's in March sometime. It's in March in Indiana. Yeah, I'm very, uh, I'm excited about seeing who shows up and who wimps out. All right, so one of the biggest trade targets in this year is Kevin Love. And I, I think we can safely say he's going to get traded. I mean, you never know, but the odds are stacked that he will get traded. Out of all the contenders in the NBA right now, where would you like to see him get traded to? I'm not sure he's going to be traded. I think Cleveland wants to trade him. That contract, the number, um, the amount of money he's owed, it would be hard to trade him, I think the contenders would want him, but what are they willing up contract-wise to match up? How much are they willing to give up to get him? Um, he's got defensive liabilities that are real, right, from a lateral quickness standpoint, which becomes even harder to cover for in the playoffs. Uh, I'm interested to see if he actually does get traded because while he's a very talented offensive player and rebounder defensively he has real issues okay so Joel Embiid missed his first game of one to two weeks last night against the Celtics and ultimately that didn't have an effect on the Sixers as they bullied the Celtics like they've been doing all season how big of an effect will Embiid's absence as long or short as it may potentially be affect the 76ers because they have a tough game coming up in two weeks against the Lakers and if he's not back for that game I expect him to get blown out so how, how big will the effect be? Well, I, I, we're going to see, but I think one of the reasons they signed Al Horford as a free agent in the offseason was to protect themselves during the games that Embiid sits out. And so far this year, they've actually held their own pretty well with Embiid out, and I continue to believe that they can do that. Uh, I think their bigger issue is the amount of shooting and playmaking and depth they have. Um, their bench is not nearly what it needs to be to be a championship caliber team. I'm going to be interested to see what they can do to add to their team and what areas of improvement they can show between now and the trade deadline. All right, so at the top of the MVP leaderboard, we have LeBron, we have Giannis, we have Luka. Who, in your opinion, is an under-the-radar MVP candidate or candidate for any award, really, that we should be looking out for? Well, you'd have to put Harden in there 
as well. I think Harden, somehow we take for granted his greatness um, because he does it differently, and, and for some, it's not an enjoyable way to do it, right? But I think one of the most underrated uh, seasons that's going on right now is Chris Paul. I think what he's been able to accomplish with a very um, uh, limited team in Oklahoma City, he won't win the MVP, but if I had to list my top 10, he would be in the 10. All right, so the NBA has been blessed with a great rookie class this year, among them John Murray and Zion, who unfortunately has not played. Who among the rookies is your favorite to watch? I like Kendrick Nunn of Miami. He plays hard, undrafted. He's been in the G League. And I think uh, those type of stories are always enjoyable to follow. All right, so while this year's free agent class is nowhere near as big as this past summer's was, one big free agent is Anthony Davis. And he has a player option, and he recently declined the uh, four-year max extension. However, it, people are saying it is likely he signs the five-year max contract this summer. So that being said, do you, th do you believe there's any chance Anthony Davis' stay in L.A. is a one and done? No. No, he'll stay. He'll stay. That's unfortunate to hear, but... Yeah. All right, so and I say that because I'm a Celtics fan, which, by the way, you were saying how I'm a confused child earlier. I do want to bring up that I am originally from Durham, New Hampshire, which happens to be an hour north of Boston, so that is where my rooting for Boston comes from. Okay. And when I, did you move? Uh, a long time ago. All right. So you were brainwashed by your, your parents? <laughs> that's, that's what my friends like to say. All right. All right so, and that being said, do you believe the Celtics have a realistic chance of winning it all this year? No, but they're good, and they, they play really well. But if they're not able to add to their talent, no. Uh, that being said, do you think they can win it all within the next five years with what they have right now? Well, obviously, team building, Danny Ainge has proven to be a great team builder. Uh, he makes good moves. He, um, he tries to aggregate a lot of assets and hit home runs for star-quality players. And so you can never discount him. Uh, and I think he's done a good job with this group. He consolidated, uh, let some people walk, uh, consolidated his talent. They're playing much better basketball this year. And I think with he and Brad Stevens uh, making decisions that they have a chance, yeah, they could win it in the next five years if they make the right moves. Okay. And now back to this year's NBA Finals. I know that they're five months away. I know we haven't even hit the all-star break. Heck, we haven't even hit the halfway point. I don't even think a single team has played 41 games yet. But as of right now, January 10th, who do you consider the favorite to win the 2020 NBA Finals? The Clippers. All right. And so I will get you out of here on this on a non-basketball question. So. On Sunday, your Houston Texans, who you've brought up multiple times on the air, play a big playoff game in Kansas City. And the Texans beat the Chiefs in Kansas City earlier this year. So do you believe they can do it again? I think we have a 10% chance of winning. But I do believe when you have a great quarterback, a good running game, and great coaching, I think we'll take a good shot at it. Whether we're successful, I mean, it's hard to beat a team like the Chiefs on the road, particularly a second time within a year with Mahomes and, and the like. But I love the Texans. I love Bill O'Brien as a coach. 
and uh, I'm hopeful that we play a good game and give ourselves a chance to win. Well, Coach Vignetti, it has been an absolute privilege and pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for coming on. You are always welcome back anytime you wish. Thank you. And with that, we are going to wrap up our 60th episode. I am Lynn Griffin. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you next week.